All right, George, here okay. we go. Great. Feel pumped? Feel good? Pretty pumped. Pretty pumped. All right. <laughs> That's some, we're not going to put this in? This is just us getting ready. Everybody listening, we're not going to put this in the podcast. This is me warming up yeah. my voice. Edit right over this. Welcome to the party, pal. It's another episode of Worst Scene, Best Scene, a podcast where we look at two movies, an amazingly great one and uh, an amazingly bad one. And then we determine what the worst scene in the amazingly great one is and what the uh, best scene in the uh, amazingly bad one is. That's, our, uh, that's the concept. Yeah, that is it. <laughs> Whew, I did that all in one breath. So it's not just a clever title. No, it's not. And lean forward in the microphone, sir. Uh, I am one of your co-hosts, George. And to my left is... Richard, another of your co-hosts. And then directly across from Richard is our first ever guest ho- co-host? Guest host, yeah. That doesn't need any question marks behind it. What are you called? I'm called Dan. Dan is also... My brother. The Nepotism. end. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess I should tell you guys what what uh, what are we looking at this week? Uh, the first thing we're looking at the amazingly great, hundred percent American classic. It might have been made by Europeans. I'm not totally sure, but American classic. Uh, Die Hard. And we're also watching an, an a not classic, A Good Day to Die Hard. Or as I call it, Die Hard 5. It's an even better title. Yeah. <laughs> Not as catchy. I can understand like the marketing people right. deciding on something but else. Wasn't Die Hard Die Hard 2 was Die Hard 2 Die Harder. Correct. And then Not a good name. <laughs> three was Die Hard with a Vengeance. Right. Which worked because the whole yes. plot was revenge. Right. And then Live Free or Die Hard. Ah, come on! What are you doing here? That's yeah. Just ridiculous. You can't have those on the same rack in a VHS store because L does not follow D. I mean, it technically does. But... You'd have to do the Die Hard right rack. You would have to have it be like an employee's choice. Uh, most of you don't know what a video store is. This being the 21st century, and I'm sorry for your eternal souls. And most of you are listening to this in the 24th century when our podcast finally really catches on yes. and has listened. To by people around yes. the world. So and it's a glimpse into what the world was like before the Great War, before the fire fell from the sky and purged all of us curs from the face of the earth. That truly will be. It's the holiday day. season, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, all right. So I guess we should just jump into it. It's getting warm in this room. So um, yeah. if you hear us sweating, you won't. I if you hear rustling, that's me slowly taking my clothes off. Yep. I sweat really loud. Drinking scotch at 4 p.m. is great. Uh, it is now 5. It's almost 5 p.m. Okay, let's get into it. It's 10 a.m. somewhere, as I like to say. <laughs> we'll start at the beginning. Die Hard was released in 1988. It was directed by John McTiernan, who was coming off of a fairly big success with Predator. Uh, not a hit with critics, but a massive hit with audiences. Uh, this was written by Jeb Stewart. Uh, I think got an Oscar nomination for The Fugitive and... Stephen E. D'Souza, who did not get an Oscar nomination for Street Fighter the movie. This is based on the novel Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe, which was a, a sequel to something that got turned into a film, The Detective. 
starring Frank Sinatra. Uh, Dan, I think you've got a little bit of trivia here about nothing lasts forever. Uh, that's correct. Uh, the detective was about this. It's the same character, Joe Leland. So when they made this movie based on the, on the sequel, uh, contractually, because it was technically a sequel, they had to offer the part first and foremost to Frank Sinatra. Even as... though they were developing the film in the early 80s. Correct. While he was in his 70s, he could have played John McClane. Graciously, he turned it down. As did, gee, Sylvester Stallone right. and Clint Eastwood. And Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, I have a, I have a list here as well. Let's, yeah. let's, let's well, say everybody who turned it down, yeah, well, now that I interrupted you. Sure. Keep trying to talk. Well, Clint Eastwood. Well, see. Okay. see? <laughs> <laughs> Clint Eastwood actually owned the property briefly, and he was developing it for his own thing, figuring Frank was too old to be in it. But um, yes, I think a lot of the other Planet Hollywood partners were offered this part. And I just, I can't imagine this being a good film. I love Arnold Schwarzenegger. I I think I like, I like Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. He chops his pizza with a pair of scissors and Cobra. That's pretty cool. Um, but it just wouldn't have been... <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's, that, you should start a list of the most obscure references. That's got to be the number one. That's uh, a great reason to like it. When we get a website going, I'll send you all a, a GIF or GIF of that, whatever you prefer. The um, website will be up by next weekend, which I mean, that means before this, we'll cut, we'll cut that out. <laughs> um, but it just wouldn't have been a human film without um, uh, Bruce Willis. There was the rumor apparently it was debunked but there's a rumor that this was being retrofitted to be commando 2 right right uh, but i don't think that was entirely true i think stallone just passed on it because the sound schwarzenegger because he felt this is too much like commando part right two. and probably there weren't enough steel drums in the soundtrack yeah that's right there are a lot of steel drums in the soundtrack for both commando and 48 hours and you think like maybe bill duke would have been Takagi. Oh, that'd have been interesting. That'd have been cool. Burt Reynolds also turned down the role. Right. Whoa. Right. So would have been real. Yeah. That would have been something. Yeah. I did, think he, went... did he do Rent a Cop instead? Uh, like Stick and then Rent a Cop. Yeah. <laughs> this is the second conversation I've had about the Burt Reynolds film Stick in the last 24 hours. I'm sure it's not going to be the last one either. That's not no, that's that's right. Yeah. I, I live a fascinating life, everyone. Uh, let's see. What else do I have here? Um. God, I wrote a lot about Commando, but I don't think we need to get into that. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> um, but Die Hard was kind of like the little movie that could. Bruce Willis at the time was a TV actor, known as a comedic actor. You know, he'd done, um, he did Blind Dates, which is a great film that John Larroquette is in. And I mean, John Larroquette, Phil Hartman, Bruce Willis, uh, Kim Basinger or Bassinger. Uh, they're both in the movie. Um, but... Yeah. He was a comedic actor. He was like moonlighting. Uh, he also did the movie Sunset. Yeah, comic actor. He was you know, silly, smug, funny, funny former bouncer Billy Joel wannabe. Now, speaking of moonlighting, when I was looking up fun facts about Die Hard via a Google search, fun facts about Die Hard, I saw some really terrible articles that contain no facts. One oh, of yeah. which said. Bruce Willis was filming Moonlighting while this was going on. He was filming during the day, Ugh. which is why, well, for one thing, he wasn't filming Moonlighting while this was going on. They were having a break because Sybil Shepherd was pregnant. 
-hmm. But two, let me continue this fact, this fun fact. He was filming it during the day, which is why most of his scenes in Die Hard take place at night. It was actually what this (laughs) website said. But most of his scenes take place at night. Uh, I see you have not ever seen Die Hard, yet you have written an article about it in which the movie only takes place during one night. That's why most of his scenes take place at night. I don't want to be weird. I don't want to interject. Right. Right. But that's the main reason. But also maybe because he was just busy during the day and couldn't make it to the movie that paid him $5 million. Yeah. Did, did, did the article by any chance say 13 re- things about Die Hard right. that will blow but, your mind? Yeah, I think it did. I think so. I think I read that. <laughs> I think we and all... I, as I read it, I thought, oh, no, that's not right. <laughs> um, but, I mean, Die Hard was huge. Die Hard was, to action films, what Pulp Fiction was to Quentin Tarantino wannabe movies. It uh, it was the film that launched a thousand imitators, some great and some horrible. Uh, you had it really became the, the way to describe, like in a pitch meeting. This is what this movie is. Uh, this is Die Hard on a cruise liner. This is Die Hard on a bus. This is Die Hard on uh, an aeroplane. Uh, this is Die Hard on Air Force One, and uh, on and on and on. Again, some of them were great, including Speed, which was directed by Jan de Bont, who is the cinematographer of Die Hard. And he actually lends an amazingly austere realism to the film. This is a gorgeous-looking movie. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's epic widescreen cinematography. Uh, this is the first time I remember lens flare. Um, that is a nerdy thing to say out loud. And we've been talking about Star Wars all morning. So, if you were talking about Star Trek, everyone would know exactly what you're talking about. Oh, JJ Abrams. Yeah. Lens flare. Oh yes, right, right. Extraordinaire. But yeah, this had a this had a huge, huge impact on cinema, um, and uh, I will share a personal story before I throw it to both of you for your worst scene. I don't understand how that's possible. Um, Dan and I. Uh, Dan is my brother again, Hi. Uh, or he's still my brother, I should say. <laughs> we'll see for now. We got, yeah, we've got another hour to go on this podcast. We'll see. Um, but we saw this in the theater with. Our dad and our dad's friend Reed, right? We saw it with Reed. Yes. Okay. And we—it was a theater that had wooden armrests. There's a scene in the film. If you haven't seen Die Hard yet, you should stop the podcast, watch Die Hard, and feel ashamed. Um, how old are you, and you haven't seen Die Hard yet? Seriously, go do that. Welcome back. Uh, so, <laughs> I'm watching the movie, and there's a scene where he has a uh, fireman's hose wrapped around his waist and is slowly being dragged out a window that he just kicked through with his like bleeding feet. I have a problem with heights, a real big problem with heights. And this, because this wasn't Stallone or Schwarzenegger, this is a real guy. This is a guy who's not buff. This is a guy who's just a guy. Because of all that, he's real. I'm in his shoes. I'm never in Arnold Schwarzenegger's shoes. I never, you know, I've never looked at him as like, oh yeah, I can carry a fucking log. You know, I can I can go fight some alien. No. Bruce Willis, it's different. He's real. He's us. We are him. So as he's being dragged out the window, I dig my fingernails into the wood armrest. I had splinters underneath my fingernails. This is not a joke. I was grinding my teeth. I was writhing my seat. It was 1988. I was 10 years old. It was the most horrifying thing I had ever seen in the theater maybe next to Large Marge and Pee-wee's Big Adventure. It was thrilling. I was so alive. I don't know what happened in the preceding years. I just, 
I just don't know what happened. With that, I'm going to throw it to you, Richard. Uh, what is the worst scene in Die Hard? I mean, it's a fat chance he's playing a scene. Thank you, George. Die Hard's really good. <laughs> I, I don't know if you gathered that from its position in this podcast as the first movie we're talking about, but it is truly an incredible film. Very well shot, especially for an action film. Mm -hmm. It just looks beautiful. It's, it's incredible. It's impossible to find a bad scene in this movie. This is the hardest... I've had to think about what scene was bad because this just perfectly made everything that you might even start to think, well, maybe that's a bad scene sets up something else right. that comes later. And so there are really two parts that I considered for this, even though they are not on their own, even bad scenes. They just maybe are the worst scenes in this movie. Just what we're here to discuss. The first thing I might consider potentially the the worst scene in this movie is we're on the roof with Alan Rickman and Bruce Willis and they run into each other and Alan Rickman immediately starts speaking in a terrible American accent that's in no way believable. Please God, no, you're one of them, aren't you? You're one of them. No, no, don't kill me, please, no, please. Don't kill me, don't kill me, please, 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 Whoa, 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 please, relax. Please. Relax, I'm not gonna hurt you. Which, of course, Bruce Willis doesn't believe him. But part of that scene feels like maybe uh, Alan Rickman would not do this. He would not go up to the roof. He is a leader. He's not going to just right. wander around yeah. and do things on his own like this by himself with right. no one else. So, yeah, send the guy in the bolero jacket to go check the right. explosives. If it's, it's a chess game, the king is not attacking. Exactly. Yeah. He's too busy trying to get that money. He's not up here trying to fuck around with, <laughs> with Bruce Willis on the on the roof of the building. So that was the first thing that felt a little weak, but it's a good interaction to have. Now he knows Now he knows what Bruce Willis looks like. So when he looks at the picture of the family together in the office, yeah. he's like, that's, oh, you're, yeah. that's your husband. It's, it's absolutely necessary. So it is a it's necessary a part of the film. You need that to happen. So that's one thing. So that's not the worst thing in the movie. Alan Rickman's accent might be the worst, American accent might be the worst thing in the movie. But again, it's supposed to not be a great American accent, so it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. So my next possible worst scene, which is what I've actually chosen, oh. is our cokehead character. Ellis. Ellis. Hart Bachner. Hart Bachner. What, what a name. What a name for a guy who's going to play a guy named Ellis. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds like a suit company. <laughs> Ellis by Hart Bachner. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's... That could be real. Yep. I'll, I'll write him an email. Yeah, please write him an email. Make a note of that. Yep. Got to mention that you really appreciate PCU because he went on to direct the movie. Right. PCU. Correct. With Jeremy Poon. And he played a similar part in Mr. Destiny. Sorry, let's continue <laughs> on with good movies. This is bad. Us two together. <laughs> this shit's going to be like three hours long. And we're not even going to get to the topic. Oh. But on topic, Ellis... He was just a little over the top. He's, I mean, great. not really. He's right. great. It's fantastic. It's perfect for the movie. But he is just a touch over the top sure. as a coke, as a cokehead salesman. And when he decides to give up John McClane to to Alan Rickman, Hans. I just, to Hans. Sorry, whenever I'm drinking scotch, my mind goes blank for all names. I don't remember my name. Mm -hmm. I don't remember any names right now. 
It's cool. But Hans, when he goes to give up, when Alice goes to give up John McClane to Hans, it's just, would he really do that? And yeah. I don't know if he would. But it's still a great scene because he does. And, he, and it's fantastic. There's no bad scene in this movie. Right. He's just enough over the top for me to think maybe he could have been a little more under the top. Tired of sitting here waiting to see who gets us killed first, them or your husband. What are you going to do? Hey, babe, I negotiate million dollar deals for breakfast. I think I can handle this Euro trash. Hey, frickin' see talk, huh? If you know what I'm, I know what I'm talking yeah, about. Under, under the top was my second favorite uh, Sylvester Stallone film. Um, <laughs> so that's my pick for worst scene, but it's go. not a bad scene at all. It's not. It's not no. even remote. It's not even an average scene. It's, it's not a great that, scene. Like, you can't understand how good the scene is without seeing Alan Rickman's reaction to uh, this improvised line. Hans, Bobby, I'm your white knight. I must have missed 60 minutes. What are you saying? Yes. Booby does not appear in the script, apparently. Um, so that's just the genius of Hart Faulkner. Ellis by Hart Faulkner coming this fall. That'll give us enough time to like get a lead on orders. Right. We have yeah. to find a manufacturer. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, that's enough for me on, on okay. this. Let's throw it to okay. our guest host. Oh, yeah, thank you. Dan. Thank you. Um, yes, I agree with you guys entirely. One of the great facts about Die Hard is, is you feel that at any moment, like he's a human being. He could die at the slightest turn. Mm -hmm. And, George, I totally agree with you. When you see this movie, you really feel like you are in his shoes, mm -hmm. even though in the film he's got no shoes on. Fantastic. So, um... Fantastic. <laughs> You're a goddamn genius. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I, I, I listened to your podcast. Now you guys do, like... Oh, several thank you. scenes. Oh, that's so great. I've yeah. heard them all. I've heard them all. Yes. <laughs> How nice. But I know you guys do like, you, you, there's a couple scenes kind of leading up. Mm -hmm. And I had, mm -hmm. I'm with that too. For a second, I almost said, um, uh, by the way, George is uh, just motioning. We are all drinking. Um, yeah, it's a McLean brand single malt scotch. It's not actually a brand. It's just labeled that. It's a like souvenir if your name is McLean. It's not quite the best, but no. uh, it'll do for tonight. But yeah, this is this is very similar to like a if you stole a cigarette from a murdered German terrorist. Right. Yeah, I can. Okay, I can roll. Or with ate that. a Twinkie while bandaging your bloody feet. This is, <laughs> this is the same perfect. level this is of the, good. This is the taste of that. Yeah, I yeah. agree with you. But I, I would say one of the one of the moments that I almost picked mm -hmm. is when um, Gruber and gang first invade the Nakatomi floor, and they're crawling everybody out. The music's so amazing. There's fine mm -hmm, machine gun mm -hmm. shots into the air. And there's one girl running out with her top on. It's right. like you just gotta shoehorn in right. the naked girl. But I was like, you know, that's like three seconds long. Right. What have you? It's it's kind of a gimme. And things like if a studio executive said you need to have nudity in this, how do they do it? They have the the photo of the naked girl in the workspace, right? Where of course yes, you would have that. Right. And then you have this other playmate woman uh, being pulled out of the uh, uh, like who's you know screwing around at the holiday party. Right. Like. That's a actually a pretty brilliant way to do that instead of having to write in some kind of sex scene, which right. would not fit in this movie in any way other than the way it's done. That's so. true. That's that's one of the reasons why I was like, you know what, it's fine. Yeah, I, can, I can let it go. Yeah, and as you mentioned that, something I really appreciate about the movie is that even though it's about a Japanese company, uh, it manages to avoid any of the 80s, somewhat traditional, awkward, Asian, terrible humor that you find in a lot of movies True. from the era, just like Scrooge, which oh, yeah. has 
has awkward Chinese food humor sure. yeah. and this, sixteen candles. Sixteen candles, yes. probably the primary thing. <laughs> but this movie doesn't doesn't do anything weird. Yeah. They actually call attention to the stereotype when he says, "Like you right. guys with Pearl Harbor, we got you with VCRs or yeah. something yeah. like that." I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so that's why my least favorite scene in this, and it's like the one that always gets me every time I watch. It. I just rewatch it sure. again. <sighs> the SWAT scene. What I feel is the worst scene in the whole. Oh, movie. where they're like stupidly running to the door. Because okay, it's like I'm okay. I've never been in combat. I don't uh -huh. know how SWAT teams work. The best I've had is a video game of it. But it's like okay, send them through the rose bushes. And so it was like, ow, oh, I ow, love I got that. I love but it's stupid. That. And then it's like yeah. they come up to it. None of the keys work. Okay, um, I don't know. Maybe break out the window so you can all so rush in and flank. No, let's break out the blowtorch and try to. And right. then they all get shot in like the arm and the leg. So it's just kind of like that's kind of silly. It just kind it of is, like ridiculous. It is. Silly. It's like it's them versus a uh, 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 a Laker loving terrorist and Genghis Khan eating a yeah. nasty crunch bar. Yeah. It's like Snickers. you guys. I think it was Nasty Crunch. That's fine. We'll we'll, do, we'll discuss. But it's like it's like you. So you guys didn't have air support. You guys didn't have a sniper team. You didn't give somebody the green light. You didn't have that kind of a backup. What's going on? What's it look like? We're going in. Going in. Man, that's crazy. There could be over thirty hostages in there for all we know. We don't know shit, pal. If there's hostages, how come nobody's come to us with ransom demands, huh? If there's terrorists in there, where's their list of demands? All we know is that somebody shot your car up. It's probably the same silly son of a bitch you've been talking to on that radio. Excuse me, sir. But what about the body that fell out the window? Well, who knows? It's probably some stockbroker got depressed. We're ready for you, Chief. All right, light him up. Let's go. What the hell? You just got these guys running out completely blind, no cover anywhere Jesus. except for glass doors. Yes. And then what do they do? Bring in the car. Bring in the car. Send in the car. Send in the car. They bring in the armored car, and it's like, well, should the armored car have maybe gone first and smashed through the front doors and given them cover? No. No. Let's go up a staircase so we can get hung up on yeah. a fucking railing. And it's just kind of like, all right, oh, all right, they got blown up. But you kind of asked for it. I'm sorry That's you could have found another way up. That's true. And on top of that, if you watch that scene, like it's cool to see that ground-mounted rocket launcher. Mm -hmm. There is a continuity error because they, they mount it down and they blast it through the window. And I always thought that was so cool. They smash the window with the rocket. And it's like, hit him again. And they do it and they smash the window again. It's uh -huh. like, well, they didn't undo the fucking thing just to break another window. Right. So and that's a little yeah. continuity. That's a little thing. That's that's just and a neat thing. Yeah. Double pane glass. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but there's also double like the, pane the scene where the, the 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 scene where like no one kills him but me. Um there's a uh, racking of the machine gun, only one person actually cocks. They just double the audio because it sounds more dramatic to have right. both of the Euro tracks. Of course, I, I, I understand. <laughs> I, I want to say that I can listen to any ten to twenty seconds of this film uh, with with or without dialogue, and I will know what movie we're watching. Oh, right, of course. So can I? So can like, I? I? I can pick out the sound effects. Like, oh, that's the styre. Oh, that's the the. Oh, this but is so nerdy. This is like why... this is this is my Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> and that's why I hate hearing the fucking SWAT guys screaming in pain. Mm. It's like mm. on top of that, like I'm sorry, SWAT guys are badass. Yeah. You couldn't like maybe scooch or marine crawl your way out of there. But you're just gonna lay there going, ow! But you get all this stuff from Theo like this. Oh my god, the quarterback is toast. Right. And, and so I, I mean, love Theo in it. I thought his right. his his commentary was so good. Oh, so, it looks like the LPD is not. 
oh, that's so great. Right. But, yeah, logic-wise, it is weak. Right, it's almost kind of like whoever wrote this was like, who's, the, yeah. It was almost like, like their, their fuck the police moment. It's, it's like, oh, let's do it. some Keystone Cop shit here. Mm. It is really Keystone Cop. It so, is. Ebert's review, uh, he trashed this movie. No, he didn't trash it, but he didn't like it because of the uh, uh, this character. All right, I was talking to him. I am, sir. Sergeant Powell, Al Powell. Dwayne Robinson, Powell, what's the deal here? What do these pricks want? Well, if you mean the terrorists, sir, we don't exactly know. We haven't heard a peep from them. Well, who in the hell have you been talking to? We don't know that either, sir. He won't give us his name. But he appears to be the one who phoned in the report. He's killed one terrorist for sure, and he claims he's capped off two others. He claims? Powell, has it occurred to you he could be one of the terrorists pulling your chain? Or some nutcase in there? Oh. And so, like, I love Paul Gleason, and, and, like, this is so, this is, like, another great moment where it's, like, you know, kick the shit out of the pompous authority figure. This um, is, uh, yeah, man, I mean. Ebert came around eventually, but he, initially. He showed Dick some respect. Ugh. <laughs> uh, sorry. Yeah. Um, wow, that's that's fascinating. That's fascinating. What did you pick again, Richard? I've been drinking. I'm, I'm not sure. What are we doing? Well, you'll hear it later yeah. when we edit. Right about <laughs> yeah. All right, cool. So, I guess I'll pick my part. Or will I? My first thought, actually. You um, will. I will. I'll get there. Wouldn't be a podcast um, if you didn't. No, that's true. So that would be the last episode. I refuse. I actually almost refused in this episode. I'm not going to lie. Empire, I knew. Empire, I knew. But this one, I... You know, when, we, when there's a guest host, yeah, and Dan will, will be a regular guest host, mm-hmm. just based much. on this, it feels like this is good rapport. Is that yes. the word? Yes. Just no, no Michael, one Michael rapport. It's this is good Michael, Michael rapport. <laughs> and so... <laughs> Whenever we have a guest host, it's you could. I guess it's possible since there are two opinions at least that you mm-hmm. can say that I declare I will not choose a scene or something. Oh. But that would don't don't do that. But you yeah. could do that. But it, don't. It, it, but you it, could. It, yeah. But don't. All right. So my actually my my thought was um, was sort of a like racial stereotype moment that uh, oddly enough, right before I watched this movie, I watched Gotcha which is uh, not a classic film, but one of my favorite films from the mid-80s. Not the 80s in general, just the mid-80s. Um, and that is The Maid. Uh, just the character of The Maid being an illegal alien, um, somewhat either Hispanic or South American. So some, some, But it was just such an overplayed trope in the 80s, especially. I think it definitely crept in in the 70s, once they got over the whole weird Asian thing of the 60s. Um, but um, it just so many films had that Asian housekeeper. They're often played by the same person, too. But so I want to play you a little bit of audio. This is from Gotcha. This is the housekeeper from Gotcha. Who thought we'd be talking about Gotcha in the Die Hard podcast? Dan did. Hello, Rosario. It's Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan, no home. No, no, this is Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan, no home. He's in um, in Germany. Rosario, it's me, Jonathan. Ah, oh, Jonathan, you sound so far away. And then this is also uh, this the uh, from a film that shares a cast member from this film as well as *Lethal Weapon* um, and *Scrooged*, a film called *Goonies*. Lita's going to help us with the packing just until my arm is better. Oh, oh, 
Um, boys, Rosalita doesn't speak a word of English, and I know some of you have taken some Spanish in school. Well, Mrs. Walsh, I speak perfect Spanish. So with Die Hard, they also have a housekeeper, and she is Hispanic or South American. Um, but unlike those movies, it's actually really, really, really important that she is an illegal alien. It comes back uh, to be a real proving point for why William Atherton, um, uh, Richard Thornburg, is the biggest fucking scumbag asshole in this movie. No, minute. Senor, That's all I'm asking. One minute say, just to speak. No, all right, okay, all right, all right, all right. Get back, get back. No, back. Off, 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 off. Senor. All right, all right. No, it's no, look, you let me in right now, or I call the INS. Comprende? And there's a lot of scumbag assholes in this movie. Ellis is not... I don't think Ellis is in the top three. I think the top three are probably Dick Thornburg, Hans Gruber, and then maybe either Dwight or one of the Johnsons. Yeah, I would say Robert Dobby. Robert yeah, Dobby, Dobby, yeah. Just like fucking Saigon and Ace Lick. Because um, right. Paul Gleason, he had no idea what he was doing. He was just the dumbass. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was the kind of guy who would order... SWAT to do that though. Exactly. Uh, but it wasn't his call. It was the SWAT Chief. captain saying it. Yeah, that's right. He's just trying to show off. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love I love when the FBI shows up. This happens. Sir, I yeah, sir. The FBI is here. Oh. The FBI is here now? Yes, sir, right over there. Hold this. What a breath meant. I lo I love I love how vain. Like how human, how absolutely human all of the characters are. Like, just, it's great. You can't have this kind of thing in a Stallone film or a Schwarzenegger film. But anyway, so I didn't pick that because it's absolutely important. But then I thought, what about this line? You always ask too many questions, Argyle. <laughs> Sorry, man, I used to drive a cab and uh, people would expect a little chit-chat. So he was a cab driver when he was 16? Because that motherfucker is young. Like, that guy is young. Like... Two years after this, he played a high school a high school kid in um, the last the season of Head of the Class, where they got a whole new cast who needed way less salary. Uh, he was also going back to your Goonies tie-in, also with Jonathan Key Kwan. Oh right, short round, right, that round, right, right. right. There we go. It could have just been bullshit, then. It could, yeah. But it felt, you know, and it's like maybe this was written for someone who was older. Maybe like Reginald Bell Johnson was was originally up for this part. Um, but uh, I didn't pick it because that scene's great. And it also was the first time I heard Christmas in Hollis. Oh, yeah. Which is one of the all-time great Christmas songs. This, again, is all about how great the dialogue is and the character development. It's, it's all real natural and real fun. It's, uh, it's a blast. This movie's a blast. Also, I want to say that this movie fills me with joy. So yeah, this film yeah. really is an ode to joy. Before I get onto it, I want to say this movie is does have a murderer's row of specialty character actors. You've got um, Alan Rickman, Paul Gleason, William Atherton, like all great at being assholes. Yes. Reginald Bell Johnson is great at being sympathetic. Uh, Rick DeCummin as the uh, guy who works for PG&E. Awesome. Who, from, from the Burbs. From the Burbs. Um, great, great, dearly departed. Uh, Robert Davi, scumbag, awesome. Hart Bachner, Genghis Khan, etc., etc. All the Euro trash people are beautiful in this too. Um, Vigo from Ghostbusters Two appears in this as the guy who launches the rocket. That's him. That's Vigo. 
Wow. Yeah. Yeah. He's a real beauty. So um, I really was tempted to just put together a string of audio clips to pull, but we would just basically this episode would be the entire length of Die Hard. I was like, let's just play all of Die Hard. So we're not going to pull a lot of that. So I'm going to get down to it. So here's my pick for worst scene in Die Hard. It might be controversial. Uh, you also might have stopped listening by now. We'll find out which one is true. Um, so it's uh, at the end of the fight with uh, Gudnov, um, Bruce Willis wraps chains around his neck and kicks him out and uh, apparently kills him. So seeing it in the theater, it was not the satisfying conclusion to that fight that I wanted. And I'll get around to why that is, I guess, but um, it's kind of like, would he die? Would those have actually held? Wouldn't they have just slipped and he would have just kind of just landed on his feet and maybe had an ouchie in his ankles? Um, yeah. And so like, oh, I guess he's dead. And yeah, he's totally dead because all the people who are streaming down from the roof when he's like, they're going to blow the roof. and like, he's firing the machine gun. All come running by this body that's hanging by the neck, by the chains. All right, so he's dead. Cool, they've really established that. But also, it, was like, it felt like a wrestling match when they really telegraphed the moves. Like, okay, the good guy's about to get body slammed because he's really letting the guy take his weight. Like, when you can see the work that's happening and it's not natural, that's what I felt was happening in that scene. And then he pops up later and is not dead just to get Reggie Bell to shoot him, um, which gives Reggie his hero moment. But it really feels like that same like fatal attraction, like pop up from the dead thing that has been happening since the first Friday the 13th movie. Or maybe even Halloween. But um, unlike fatal attraction, it wasn't a wrong move. I enjoyed it. I enjoy it. It's fine. It's fine. It's just not satisfying. But my only problem with that scene is that we end up with Reginald Bill Johnson's character's arc being that he had learned to be careful about shooting people. And <laughs> right. now we got him pulling oh. his gun to shoot somebody again. <laughs> he can oh, kill again. Thank yes. God I've he learned can kill the again. murder. He's, yeah. He can kill again. He's not. He's got a death shot because he doesn't want to shoot anybody because he accidentally shot a 13-year-old. And now he pulls his gun and he just fires tons of bullets. We just really, oh, yeah. He must have emptied his gun. Like, mm -hmm. he's back, baby. Yeah. He's going to be murdering people every day. And yeah. it's great that they I mean, killed an evil person. So good. But it's still kind of a weird arc to be. I, sh I accidentally shot a 13 year old, so I'm not going to shoot anybody anymore. It's shooting people again. Yeah. yeah. Woo! And he, when he, he got over it. When he announced yeah. killing the kid, he didn't seem. I was expecting, like, I, uh, I shot the kid. What is it? I shot a kid. No, <laughs> like, you kind of I feel like it's emotion. Like that, I, I feel like it's, No, it's when he gets into it, it's great. What'd you do? Run over your cat and the car. I shot a kid. He was 13 years old. Oh, it was dark. I couldn't see him. He had a ray gun look real enough. You know, when you're a rookie, they can teach you everything about being a cop except how to live with a mistake. Anyway, I just couldn't bring myself to draw my gun on anybody again. But I, I totally agree with you. I felt that Alexander's original death scene was not good enough. Ah, I was wondering how we could work Gudnov into the conversation. It's the second time I've done that in my life. That's so. great. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the party, pal. Well, sounds like you're done talking about Die Hard George, so that means it's time to move on <laughs> to our next movie.
A Good Day to Die Hard, also known as Die Hard 5. Oh. As an introduction, let me read you just some quotes from critics writing about the film when it came out. Oh, this should be great. You are right about that. <laughs> Here's one quote. I didn't think it was physically possible to doze off at a movie as loud as A Good Day to Die Hard, but for a few moments my mind found some distant peaceful refuge. David Edelstein, New York Magazine. Uh, ouch. John McClane has been stripped of any real traces of an actual three-dimensional character. We feel as if we're watching Bruce Willis in a Bruce Willis movie in which Bruce Willis can survive anything while taking out the villain's video game style. Richard Roper. Oh, I love Roper, man. He's, uh, he's on top of it. And a few reasonable action sequences are mired in family soap, making this a good day to call it quits. Mm. Kim Newman at Empire Magazine. Uh, doing every critic's favorite thing, which is to make a little joke with the title of the movie. So that gives you a good idea of how bad this movie is. The very early working title for A Good Day to Die Hard was Die Hard 24-7, oh, which is not, fuck. not a terrible title since this movie feels like a bad episode of 24, which is That's... already not a very good show. Which well, is already well, a bad diehards. Yes. Hey, die I, I enjoyed it up until the last couple seasons. Sure, but sure. Actually, season two and three were quite good. Fantastic. But After that, it kind of got, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Point being, this is a generic action film. Yeah. And yep. Yep. This, is, this is generic action filmmaking at its most generic. It looks like a bad action film. It's, you, we were talking about how Die Hard is so beautifully shot. Mm -hmm. A Good Day to Die Hard is shot like a TV pilot. It right. looks bad. Uh, the movie was also written by Skip Woods. Uh, he has written a lot of great films like Swordfish. Oh, God. X-Men Origins Wolverine. Oh, that was awful. I didn't even watch that one. And the, the first 10 minutes are great, but stopped then. Okay. He, he wrote the movie adaptation of the video game oh, Hitman. The, the, which, the thing which, that which almost one? killed What's-His-Name's career. The first Hitman Timothy that almost Elephant? killed Timothy Elephant's career. Yeah, he wrote the first one. Justified came along. Oh, shit. So that's a collection of very poorly written action yeah, movies, yeah. of which this goes into it. We have Bruce Willis is constantly making quips, but unlike usual Bruce Willis, who's a very charismatic, likable man, none of the quips are funny, which is why you're thinking he's not constantly yeah, making quips. Because I missed it. <laughs> every, he's, he's throwing out one-liners nonstop, but all of them are awful. What's funny there? <laughs> Can't tell you. <laughs> it's not you. I love these outfits. <laughs> you guys are looking good. <laughs> He's always saying shit that's supposed to be funny that is not funny yeah. at all. And that's hard. How do you make one of the most charismatic action actors and charismatic comedic actors yeah. of all time? You go from having Bruce Willis be a charmingly likable asshole to just an annoying asshole. That's what happens when you get... I, you know what? I wouldn't, what say, I wouldn't say annoying. I would say... Maybe embarrassed. What's oh. weird is that David Willis produced this, and I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, I saw David Willis. But he, he feels embarrassed to be there. It's like he's a zombie, Bruce Willis. Yeah, he's not putting his, he's not putting his heart into right. it. I think he realizes it's a shitty movie. Yeah. But he's going to make it because it's Die Hard, and he's getting paid, and he's on his way. He, right. can't, he can't change the script. No, and his, his lines are going to be weak. That's what happens when you get a quip from Skip. <laughs> mm. Mm. I'm that guy. I don't. This know will if... be the last episode. My brother does because <laughs> I'm about to murder him. I don't know if I'm like that that good supporting character or if I'm like Oliver on the Brady Bunch. I, I'm, not, I'm kind of in between. 
in betwixt. I'm I'm actually fascinated to see what Oliver did like 20 years later. Like right. Yeah, that'd be interesting. I'm cutting all. All mention of Oliver will be cut from this (laughs) podcast. I want you to know that right now. So. Die Hard was, despite uh, critical declaim, is that correct mm, way to yeah, say that? Yeah, declaim. is right. And audiences also did not enjoy it. It still made $300 million, mostly internationally. Yeah, holy which is, shit. Look, exactly. look, if you only have one movie to watch in Russia, you are going to watch A Good Day to Die Hard. That's, that is correct. And so, that's just enough money to make sure they make another one, which they are making a sixth Die Hard film, which Bruce Willis says will be the last one, hopefully... It is not garbage. George, tell us about the best scene in this movie. I would love to. There are none. <laughs> Good night, everyone. I believe the police oh. officers who's here to yeah. ensure okay. that we okay. choose a scene is now yes. reaching for yep. his gun. All right. Please. All right. uh, please. Um, so this movie is so bland. It's just so bland. It's like it's like it's like the, the people who made the lesser episodes of 24 decided to do a pilot based on taken. (laughs) Yeah. It's just guard. It's just, so there's a quote actually from uh, the New York times review. Um, And uh, you know, this film was a few years old now, but it was, this is what the new global cinema looks like. And, and if that's true, I am profoundly sad. And I think it might be, um, if that's right, then like you know, what about like canon films in the eighties where it was a, a lot of garbage, but they had personality. This has no personality. None. None. Jay Courtney. Holy shit! <laughs> but I mean, like all like all of the really bad Charles Bronson films from the eighties are so much better than this because they had personality. They had something. Even the one, the like Death Wish six, or was it or was it five six about the maybe it was five about the fashion industry in Toronto. It's ridiculous that there's murderous fashion designers in Toronto. That's, I mean, that's great. This movie's not great. This movie sucks. It's, it, that, that this is a diehard film, it doesn't make any sense at all. It's like, it, this makes as much sense of being a diehard film as diehard makes sense being a uh, sequel to a uh, Frank Sinatra movie. It's, it's just not, it's nothing. It's so bland. I know that we're here to... To find the best scene in Die Hard Five, and it's just—it's been so difficult. I watched it, and I—I I felt I haven't felt this bad. You know what? Okay, I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm really burned out on Star Wars. We did our Star Wars month in the lead up to Last Jedi, and the prequels were so bad, and so such non movies that, like, really, again, Purple Cloak is the only prequel that was a movie that actually followed a film structure. Um, Die Hard, if you didn't get it from the first half of this podcast, is my favorite Christmas movie. It's it's one of my top five favorite films of all time. I can say that without hesitation. Hesitation? Hesitation. Hesitation? Hesitation. 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 Moving on. Um, but this film is so artless. Die Hard 5. It's bland. Again. And it's... I, I do not remember Bruce Willis making anything more than three quips because he seems so it's like are you on painkillers what's going on it's see this movie is so gray it's i mean it's shot gray but it like and also the the directing i'm not sure where anything is happening the great thing about filming in a former soviet eastern bloc country is that i feel like the government's like 
oh, do you want to crash real cars? Yeah, sure. You can do that. You do. We won't, no, we don't have to block it off. We'll do it during rush hour, which is what the chase scene felt like. like actually, if I if it had been shot and edited better, I would have understood where things were, and I probably would have felt more fear, um, kind of like the way I did in Goldeneye. But it was so murky. Every action scene in this film was so murky that I'm never really sure where anything is in relation to anything else. And I get the feeling that they shot all Bruce Willis stuff first, like where he's behind the wheel of a car. That was done like five months before they shot any of the other thing where they actually crashed and murdered actual people in Romania. Rest in peace. Um, but also, like, I, it felt like they were actually firing actual machine guns at buildings. They were supposed to be Chernobyl. Uh, by the way, by the time we got to Chernobyl, I was not paying attention at all. I, was... I can't believe we're in Chernobyl. And I can't yeah. believe that there's a well-maintained swimming pool ah. in the nuclear power plant in Chernobyl. Well, that's okay. They have a device that just lets you erase radiation. Oh, right. And now it's got the chlorine floater, so it's all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so I wanted to pick the car chase, the initial car chase, because it has moments that are so good and so terrifying that are almost as good almost as good as some of the stuff in T2, but the direction is so fucking murky. Like, I really don't know where anything is. I don't understand the geography. I don't understand. I, I, you're not giving me any space to figure out where anyone is in relation to anyone else. So, didn't choose it. Um, there are things that I liked about the movie. I liked the henchman. I, I don't know if I'm saying this right. Hi. Do you know what I hate about the Americans? Everything. Especially cowboys. I like the scene where he says hi. I like that scene. Uh, actually, no. I like 20 seconds of that scene. And then everything else is just kind of bleh. So I'm going to pick this one scene, even though it's not good. Um, this is the most diehard scene in the film. Um, Bruce Willis lands in Russia and gets in a taxi cab and is stuck in traffic. The American? Yeah, American. New York. Big Apple. I wanna wake up in a city that never sleeps. Yeah, that's it. Never sleeps. Sorry. Frank Sinatra, chairman of the board. That's right, chairman. Yeah. You, you, you sing good. And the guy driving the cab is a reliable character actor. I, I, I don't know his name offhand. I'm sorry. I've let myself down as a researcher. This will be my last episode on this podcast. I'm now quitting. Uh, he was he was actually terminated earlier. <laughs> yeah. I, look, I write my own destiny. He fired um, himself. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> but as I, a person who runs the podcast, he's right. terminated. Yeah, I do. We do self-reviews here at uh, Worst Scene, Best Scene. And uh, oof, I'm just not cutting the mustard, as they say. Worst performance, uh, best performance. It's all me. Um, <laughs> so but this cabbie, the cabbie's great, even though Bruce Willis seems like he's fucking dead. It's like he seems like he's at his own funeral in this scene. It doesn't make any goddamn sense. But the cabbie is great. The cabbie is doing the closest thing to die hard in the entire film. Uh, it's got charm. It's got wit. It's got weirdness. It's got character. Sort of. Barely. 
So my pick is the scene in the taxi cab, um, which is 45 seconds long, a minute long, somewhere in there, um, because that's that's about as much time as you can string together in this film to say, oh, good scene. That cab driver was actually so engaging that when I was watching this movie earlier today, mm -hmm. I assumed that he would come back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like later on, like, Argyle. he was yeah, going like, to play a role. Hey, hey, you're back in my cab. I was like, oh, uh, okay. he's going to fucking yeah. drive him through. Right. The, and we're going right. to go, yeah, we're going to get through this. That is yeah. exactly he what could, I was hoping for. He could drive at more top speeds than the, the cab driver from Gotcha. Oh. Uh, Bookend. And we'll Sorry. do like a cheap. That's what I'm here for. Yeah, yeah. Well, when, speaking of, that's what you're here for. Tell us the best scene in this movie. Oh, it's all right up to me. Okay. Well, um, one interesting thing I found about A Good Day to Die Hard was that, surprisingly, this is the only original film in the Die Hard mm -hmm. universe. Right. Every other film was adapted to something else. The first one was, was based off the Roger, Roger Thorpe, Thorpe yeah. novel. The second one was based off a novel called Walter Wager's uh, 57 minutes. 58 minutes. minutes, yeah. Uh, completely unrelated to the first one. The yep. third one is based off the Jonathan Hensley original screenplay called Simon Says, yep. which I don't know if it was the same as the uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, Dennis Rodman film of years later. Um, Double Team? No, no, they did a movie called Simon Says. I believe wow. it was Dennis Rodman. I could be wrong. And the fourth one, and the fourth Joan one based... Didian's Slouching yeah, Towards yeah, Babylon. Yeah, yeah. Right, it's based off an article, right. So this <laughs> was... Sorry, no, that wasn't the right one. So <laughs> what it was, what it was. <laughs> the fourth one was based... <laughs> I walked into that one, no, the fourth one. The fourth one was based on something, but they it got... Was an article. It was an article. It got shit canned because of 9-11. Right, yeah. So it's interesting that the worst film of the series was the original yeah. screenplay. The only so, original screenplay. Um, so... To, to future screenwriters out there, don't write a Die Hard movie. No, write no. something else that sounds like a Die Hard. Into a Die Hard movie. So yeah. future producers don't hire the writer of Swordfish or X Men right. Origins Wolverine. Let's also talk about the director who did such classics as Max Payne. Oh, the thing about Die Hard is that with one through three, even when like two and three get a little oh. super cop ish. Uh -huh. I have something to say here, but yeah. Okay, do you want to say it now? Die Hard 1 through 3 are Die Hard movies. Die Hard 4 and 5 are not Die Hard movies. Here's why. <coughs> in Die Hard 1 through 3, there's a tank top and there's a Beretta. The Beretta 92. In Die Hards 4 and 5, there's no tank tops and there's no Berettas. Um, I don't care about Bruce Willis's hair. He's got no hair in uh, 4 and 5. He doesn't wear a tank top. He doesn't have the Beretta. That's a good point. Um, and he's less and less an NYPD tough guy wisecracker in four and five therefore as much as i liked four four and five are not diehard movies to me they're add-ons that are like uh, like oh yeah that's yeah, fine yeah they're okay. tribute pieces I'll roll with that. um okay I'll, I'll oh it feels good that. it feels good to get that off my chest good, i gotta tell you it's like i have not been sleeping well because i, I came to that realization a few few days ago it's like oh shit i've got to tell someone about this good that's uh great. Whew. thanks guys thanks for listening to me Whew, boy, it's so great to get this all done on my last podcast ever. <laughs> and damn. Back to me. Uh, so one through three, there's always this feeling that Bruce Willie is a real human being and he could die yes. at any second, whether it's pulling the glass out of his toes yes. or whatever. Even, whether it's even, hard or soft, he could die. Yeah, fucking hell. Even the shit where he's pulling the ejector seat, you realize yeah. like, what would you do with that? It's like, it's desperation. Yeah. It's always desperation. But when four and five, it's almost kind of like, how did you come up with these action scenes? 
while I watched my son playing with his G.I. Joe's. Yeah, that's pretty it's, much it's what a, it is. Four, like, four and five are video the games. The jet is blowing up the freeway overpass and he's sliding down the yeah. lanes. It's ridiculous. So yeah. when you see this one, it's almost you can almost watch it as a celebration of the machismo 80s action movies like Commando, right. Cobra, again, what have you, where pepperoni it's like pizza. pepperoni pizza with scissors, uh, glass doesn't cut, fire doesn't burn, unless you're a bad guy. That kind of shit. Which like you can you can kind of roll with that. However, starting with three great diehard movies where glass does cut and fire does burn, you can't switch that shit up. If this was a standalone movie from like 1986, I'd be cool with it. I'd right. be absolutely right. cool with it. <laughs> However, it's a diehard movie, so yeah, that really really I, I feel sucks. Like four and five are almost more Stallone Schwarzenegger type films. Exactly. Yeah, they're they're later are, era Planet Hollywoods. Yeah, they are canon films, if you will. However, I knew that we had to find a good scene in this movie, and I was like, I realized the car chases were too much. It was like, it was like Hot Wheels meets a Domino set, and it was just uh, the henchmen, like the, all the double crosses and the side stories. None of it oh, yeah. made any sense. Yeah, like, there's a twist. Like you have to realize that to be a successful uh, international terrorist, you have to be a great actor because there will come a couple of double twists that you have to do, mm-hmm. and you have to sell that shit. So I will say that like the, the the two like the the bad guys are not bad actors. No, they're not, but they have but it's bad just, shit to work with. Right, right. Again, that's when when that one, the henchman says the the, the high moment, that's that's good. Yeah. Um, um, but I will say, as far as finding a good moment, there was one moment that I actually rewound a couple times. And granted, if I see a movie for free like I did, I ran this in the library, mm-hmm. so it's already better. Um, <laughs> I was a little bit maudlin at the moment, so of course it helped it as well. No, it's it's all part of it. The last scene before McLean mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and Baby McLean, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? When they're about to go in, yes. And it's like it's two of us versus a fucking right. army, right? And we've got a couple of guns, and McLean just kind of like he has that look, and, this, and he's just like they have that heart to heart moment. Mm-hmm. It, I'm not gonna go this deep, but it harkened back to him talking to Al while pulling out glass, yeah. from his feet in the first movie, and there was this kind of like. You know, you, you you got to know a little bit about Lucy McLean. And mm-hmm. by the way, in this one, she was the, this is the second time another character other than John McClane was in the second Die Hard movie. Right. Warrior Alpha Winstead. Yeah, she was, she was wonderful. Um, but it's like, yeah, you always kind of wonder about baby McLean. Like, did he ever, like, what were we going to learn about him? And then we finally see him. And it's this kind of like, this kind of sweet heart-to-heart moment where mm-hmm. I was kind of like, that's really, really great that they're like, they're really, really cool, and they're really, really, like, they love each other, and it's this great bonding moment. Look, Jack. I'm sorry your partner got killed. I'm sorry I fucked up your day. It wasn't my plan. I mean, and I caused you problems. You know, I came here for something else. And all that other bullshit, I mean... I had a pretty good day. And then it's like, all right, let's go kill some motherfuckers, which I believe is the direct quote. And I was yes, like, it is. all right, all right. That scene is good because there's just a little bit of heart that I think all diehard movies need. I almost picked that scene. Because really? it was the closest thing to a, um, a performance that Bruce Willis gives in this yeah, movie. Yeah, I'm seeing Richard. And I don't want him to get mad at me because <laughs> I would love to become buds. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? Bruce Willie, as you Bruce call Willie. him. That's the, the Key and Peele line. Right, yeah. that's right. 
But I'm seeing Richard angrily shaking his head. I cannot wait to see what if his response is. If you're going to be on this show more than once, get used to that. <laughs> I mean, you're both wrong that that's a good scene. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I didn't say it's a good scene. I said it was the closest thing to a good performance. The best I could find. Well, that's well, that counts. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I expected to go into this movie and choose a Bruce Willis talk and sing because he's Bruce Willis right. and he's good at talking. That's that's his thing. That's why he's an actor and why he's a respected, yeah. high quality actor. But there was no point in this movie where I felt like anything he said was worthwhile because as you said, it seems like he's checked out because he realizes the script is, is shitty. Now, in the scene that you've described, he is he's putting his all into it. This is a moment. This is supposed but to be... But it's his like, all of like 2013, which is like... Mm. This is like... You, the movie's been building up to this moment. But of course, the movie building up to this moment, this is like an hour in because the movie's really <laughs> short. This is the shortest <laughs> film by about and like I have, 30 minutes. And the worstest. By about 30 minutes. I don't know what I'm saying. But yes, go on. So I haven't had enough time to care that this scene is happening. Nothing is built up to this. Also, Jay Courtney or Jai Courtney, however he says his name. I always thought it was Jai Courtney. I thought that was it's, a cool it's, name. It's probably Jai Courtney. And uh, but just sorry to interject, but do you realize Jai Courtney and Robert Patrick are the only two people who have been in Die Hard movies and Terminator movies? What Terminator film? <laughs> Jai Courtney about... was in Genesis or Salvation. Terminator Salvation. Yeah, yeah. Two things Jai I Courtney is a terrible, terrible, <laughs> terrible man and a terrible actor. Oh my god. So <laughs> Right. So I can't choose that scene because, one, the way the script is written, he calls his dad John every other fucking sentence. Yeah, I get it. You don't call him dad. Shut up. I don't say people's name at the end of every fucking sentence I say. Richard, I'm not sure I think... I, I don't know that you're right, Richard. George, you've got a very this good is point, not, This George. is my turn? All right, right. Yeah. George, let sorry, him, Richard, Richard, I'm very sorry, Richard. George, let Richard speak. Dan, so I will anyway, let Richard speak. We'll Dan. go with how he probably pronounced his name, which is Jai Courtney. Jai Courtney. And he is terrible in this movie <laughs> and every other movie he's ever been in. Oh, God. He is a uncharismatic black hole in which all feelings disappear. Shingado. Sorry. <laughs> so I can't choose the scene that he's, that he's talking in. Sure. Because he's terrible. He's Australian. Well, you wouldn't know it. Well, the point is that that's not a good scene. But as you said, you no, know it's right. not a good it's scene. It's not a good not, scene. You're just trying it's, to choose the best possible scene. It's approaching scene. a good performance from Bruce Willis, which okay. does not exist good. in this film. It's funny because so many things Bruce Willis will say something that will cut the, the the edit will cut. Yeah, dude. As soon as as soon as the sound is out of his mouth, the cut just cuts away from. Him. I don't know if there's like no time for anything to land if it was any good. Even that's so right. Holy shit! It's yeah, the like, cutting is just <laughs> really. <laughs> Yeah, there's no, there's just no yeah, break. It's like, this is premature ejaculation in the movie. A good day to premature prematurely ejaculate. Cut all that. No, this is like, but it really, there is no space. There's no space in a the film. They really don't give any space for the lines to land. Even if they were any good, the, it's just like, boom, going to land a thing. Boom. I would, I, seriously, I would rather watch the worst Pierce Brosnan Bond films than this because those, again, like the canon films, had personality. This is no, other than the guy who says hi, no fucking personality. Oh, and the cab driver, my pick. Boom. I'm right. You're wrong. Well, I haven't chosen my film, my pick yet. So, Jesus Christ. But you, you're, what you chose was, was very reasonable. Honorable. Uh, honorable. It was Thank honorable, you. even. Thank You've both made honorable choices. <laughs> <laughs> so my my pick for best scene in this terrible movie that should never have been yeah, made yeah. is is something that you both mentioned 
mm-hmm. that didn't pick, which is the the early car chase scene. Yeah. Because the only reason is it's very poorly edited. Sure. I have no idea what's going on at any given time. Yeah, where is anyone? Where? I don't know. where. How is Bruce Willis is, is far away, but also near at you, all times. Are you, are are you almost, 20 minutes behind? Like, oh, yeah, I'll, just, just stop the car. I'll, I'll catch up with you guys. But it looks it's, expensive. It's yeah. almost like an episode of Toonsis the Driving Cat. Because you see how it's like car action. And then it cuts like Bruce Willis clearly green screen. Oh, like, yeah. hey, I'm going to make a quip here. Crash, crash, yep, yep, crash. Yep, yep. Out of my way. Jack, I'm not done talking to you. Who is this? I'm in, a, I'm in a subcompact car. I'm gonna make your day a living hell. It was. It was. He doesn't even know what the fuck is going on at that no. point, too. He's, He's just, just like, doing it. I'm awesome. Like I don't give a fuck. I'm gonna. And he like oh. commandeers a car from just some right. Russian people. Right. It's like you're not. You can't do that. And it's you're like not, I don't even know how to drive a Russian car. Like you're not a Moscow cop. Yeah. I, as soon as I saw him get in the car, I was just like. Put it in H. <laughs> so is it is this is this a good thing that this happens while he's you know, he gets a call from his daughter and this is his ringtone? For the love of Hi honey. Dad, can you hear me? It's Ode to Joy. Is it no or is no, that a bad thing? Good. It's a bad that's, thing, right? That's it's one bad. of those things where it's just like like it's kind of like oh I'm God. winking, I'm winking at you, I'm winking, I'm winking. Like, hey, will look, they do I'm remakes? Will they do like will they, will they, Indian Jones of the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull where they were like the opening scene, you see like the the the, the lost doctor, like, hey, remember? Remember we did that? Right. Remember right. that one scene? Or don't, you're just, it's also, like don't touch me, you have a cold. We're just rambling now. So that was yeah. my that was my best scene. It looked like no. it was expensive. Some of the shots in it, it looked like are people impressive. got killed. It looked like people died. It was really well done action yeah. in the, certain the, parts. The concrete tubes that were smashed into yeah. that. No, I was like, my, like, my no yeah. bullshit. I watched that. I was <laughs> I was wrapped because I thought people were being murdered by a filmmaker. Uh, it's a stretch to say filmmaker. So now we've come around to it, and we have to figure out, is the worst scene in <coughs> Die Hard better than the best scene in Die Hard 5? Who wins in the eternal struggle? Let's let our guest host begin. Ah, fantastic. Shit. Danny. Uh, I mean... Part of me kind of wanted to take the odd way out and say good day to die hard sure. because that was the one breath of fresh air in a garbage film. But on top of that, the thing is, it didn't really make it less garbagey. Right. And but by the feels, way, it feels good to go underdog. It's good to go underdog. But <laughs> I can't say it. Uh, I don't know why that was. Fun. Additionally, I, I would like to. I, I, okay, I'm gonna say I can't give it to Good Day to Die Hard, uh, mainly mm-hmm. because as we're as I was thinking about this, all I could think of was Cole Hauser. You're better than this. Well, but Cole Hauser's in the movie for like two minutes. Still, and, like once Cole Hauser, I was like, oh, Cole Hauser's in this. Great, we're fine. And like, nope, nope, it's over. I don't know if you ever saw the movie The Cove or The Cave, no. which it was kind well, of like the. Uh, what I will say, like if Cole Hauser had played uh, John McClane. Oh Jr., man, that would have been great. I would have been okay with it. That would have been great. That would have been a better film because Cole Hauser is solid. But I'm going to have to give it to Die Hard because you son of a bitch. at the very end, that scene ended with the best C4 explosion in a building you'll ever see. Terrific. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my turn and Die Hard. Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> George? Uh, die Hard. Clip it. So that means Die Hard wins. Die Hard unanimously. Worst scene is better than a good day to Die Hard. Die Hard Five's yes. best scene. 
So thank you folks so much for being here for another episode, for buying tickets and watching this live. We appreciate it yep. as always. And so on that note, um, we're going to end the we're going to end the episode. Yeah, yeah. And thank uh, you, thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Dan, you are always welcome back. Uh, you just have to pay for your own flight back to San Francisco. Damn it. Uh, or a train, or uh, did they do horse and buggy still, Richard? Have you done that? Have Die you done the horse and buggy? Diehard horse and buggy. Not, not in a while. Oh, what if they did a like prequel where it's like John McClane's like the forefathers? What if they did a speed? Yeah, that had right. dynamite lit in the back, and if the horse went mm-hmm, under five mm-hmm. miles per hour, <laughs> they, they so it blows up very quickly in the film. Yes. <laughs> yes. So we're like, that's a ten minute film. <laughs> well, and then, the, but then, but then the last true the to the last, era. It's true to right. the era. The yeah. last hour and twenty minutes is just a very long horse funeral. <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> oh, I'm going to get writing that now. All right, I got I to unwrap this toilet paper. Let's end this okay. podcast. And on that. <laughs> okay. And ladies and gentlemen, a happy new year. And also, may, may all your hearts be die. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. It doesn't show signs of stopping, and I brought some corn for popping. The lights are turned way down low, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow.